Hi everyone, I'm Lisa. Hi Lisa. Um, I just want to thank um, Jamie for asking me to speak. Um, you know, I we've had this speaker series going on for what three years now, um, and um, and I've got I it, as a secretary of this group, I have had the opportunity to pick all the speakers, which is why. Up until now, you haven't heard me. <laughs> and I thought I would get away with that for a little bit longer, but um, Jamie um, asked if um, I could speak this time. And um, you know, way back in the day, um, I was told by um, uh, a lot of people that when you're asked to do something in, in service in Al-Anon, that the answer is, I'd be honored unless you actually physically can't do it. So um, I told her that I would be honored to do it. And so I really appreciate um, the honor of speaking before you guys today. Um, I'm a planner, and I have this committee in my head. And um, we get together a lot. Um, and um, though uh, I think the committee's a lot more healthy now, after seven years in being in Al-Anon, um, it's still a committee, right? So. Um, we all got together and we had lots of ideas about what should be said tonight. And, um, and I make notes, uh, mainly so that I um, won't um, stick too much in the problem. But um, I do want to take this moment, I want to do a moment of silence. And, um, and that moment of silence is so that, um, so that God can direct my thoughts. And, and that kind of breaks my over planning for me. So if you will just indulge me, we could just do a moment of silence. Thank you. Um, so, um, you know, I, um, I I love listening to speakers, and um, some of the things that I enjoy about um, uh, certain speakers I have adopted into, um, into saying when I do my own story. So I always like to tell um, what I think an Al-Anon is. And um, I'm a member of the Worldwide Fellowship of Al-Anon. And what that means to me is that um, I attend meetings. So I participate in the fellowship. Um, I have a sponsor who does the deal, and she does, and, um, and I work the steps, and I continue to work the steps today. Um, I've done them multiple times with varying amounts of um, effort, um, but today I work the steps in, in my program. And then the last thing is that I do service, um, but I have to watch myself because in my, the way, in some of my character defects, service can sometimes morph into um, control and can sometimes substitute for my program. So I really have to make sure that I stay in the present with, with not only service, but that it doesn't equal my entire program. Um, my home group is the Happy Destiny Al-Anon Family Group, which meets at 5 p.m. right in this room at 5 p.m. and you're here now. So, um, but if you don't normally attend this meeting and um, you ever want a good meeting on a Saturday, evening, um, please come. We would enjoy having you, and it's always a good time. Uh, and as um, Isabel says, this is my birthday month. Um, and so I, um, I'm getting my chip tomorrow. Um, so if anyone wants to come, if you're not tired of hearing me, um, I'd love to share my birthday with you, too. Um, so uh, I was born to a fairly dysfunctional family, no big surprise. Um, you know, when I did my fourth step with, uh, with Isabel, um, I had done the steps fully two times before. And um, I kind of said to her, um, I don't think I really need to do like a full step four. I think I could skip my childhood because I've worked with that. I've gone through therapy. I've you know, I've done journaling, I've done two steps, two full step fours, and you know, I've really spent a lot of time on the tragedy of it that's called my childhood. And um, I don't know how, how she does this, but she somehow says like flat out no without ever saying no. And one day I'm gonna record her when I try to convince her that something's a good idea because um, I don't know how, I honestly don't know how she does it. But at the end of it, I'm like, okay, so no, right? But she never actually said the word no, or at least I, I, that's the way I remember it. 
Um, but the reason I wanted to do that was I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to feel the pain again. Um, you know, childhood is not a happy memory for me. And, um, and I'm just, uh, you know, I, I don't like feeling pain. And um, so, um, but what she told me was, um, and taught me was that the patterns that I developed in childhood that were my survival skills for a little girl who I was absolutely powerless, I carried those through, of course, to my adulthood, and those became my character defects. So unless we wanted to just stick with my character defects, I really had to go back and talk and share about my childhood. And so in that vein, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my childhood tonight. Um, um, what I can remember when I was a little girl was that I was truly powerless um, in a way that I didn't like. Um, you know, I, I was powerless over my body. I was powerless over my environment. I was powerless over, you know, whether I ate or didn't eat. Um, I was powerless over uh, the amount that I was nurtured um, and even my physical location. You know, I couldn't get myself to places where I wanted to be. Um, my parents were extremely dysfunctional. And um, though no one drank back in my early childhood, my mother, um, I cannot remember drinking at that time. My father was of a religion that didn't drink. Um, none of my grandparents drank, and the aunts and uncles, except for one, didn't drink. Um, but they all, like if I put my family up next to a family that had alcoholism early on, um, I don't think there would be too much difference. There was secrets, there was violence, there was shaming, there was um, neglect of children. Um, there were bills not being paid, um, all the things, right? Um, I don't think anyone went to jail that I knew of. Um, but anyway, um, no one really drank until my mom married my stepdad, and his, um, he was um, like the real deal alcoholic. Um, and they met um, when I was in middle school. And she um, uh, moved in with, he moved in with us, and, um, and, and he was a, truly an alcoholic. Um, but my family that my mom came from, um, the patriarch of that um, was my grandfather. And, um, and what I realize now after doing the steps was that the whole family set up this mythology around him. So it was very confusing growing up because things didn't match up. And certainly when I grew up as an adult, I could really say, I, I just don't really understand how you're saying this, but it seems like I remember this, right? And um, everybody thought my grandfather was like this God figure. He was, um, you know, could do no wrong. Um, but that just didn't match up with what I remember. Um, when my aunt was dying, um, I, was, I was really actually grateful for the experience of having this very intimate time with her. Uh, to some degree, I was her primary caretaker during all of that, and she really relayed to me um, a lot of the stories of my grandfather. And through that, there came a lot of understanding of what really happened, not only in his own childhood, but in her childhood, and then subsequently my childhood. Um, my grandfather was a teacher. Uh, but. And, and he was the best teacher. This is the mythology of the family. But for some reason, he couldn't keep a job. So, um, so they would be moving from small town to small town. My mom would say sometimes even within the scope of, you know, time frame of one school year, they would move two or three times. And so I just I couldn't understand, well, you know, like how bad of a teacher do you have to be to, to you know, lose your job that often? And so um, the, the, the second part of that mythology, that he was a great teacher, but everybody was out to get him. That was kind of a lot of common theme, right? Um, and so I, I don't really know what happened. Um, I didn't get to the root of that story. Um, but my guess is that something was going on that was not good, OK? Um, my grandfather, um, my grandfather um, um, so when I, when I was a little girl, my grandfather molested me. I don't know if I was the only one, um, 
but um, and I don't have a huge memory of it. It was when I was extremely young, um, probably from the age uh, between four and seven, that time frame. Um, and and so I had this this really complicated relationship with him, where in some respects he was the only one who showed me any attention in the family. And um, certainly when my mom was going through a divorce, she kind of went out, you know, partying and working, and I never saw her. Um, I, I honestly remember there was one summer when I was probably uh, 13 when he was the adult that took care of me, and we would. He was very kind to me then, and we would, he would take me out to lunch. He would, you know, I lived with him, um, and no, you know, nothing bad I could say about him from that summer. He took care of me very well, but then I have these other memories of, you know, certainly when he didn't take care of me, um, and that was a secret. So I never told anybody until, um, until I came into the program for sure. I didn't tell anybody about that. Um, so um, I, I hated him on the one hand. And when I was 16, he died. He died in a very violent way. He was murdered. And then there was another complexity to that relationship because I felt like in some way I caused that to happen because I hated him. And there was a lot of consequences that came from that in my own, child, in my own life. Um, my sex life was warped, obviously. Um, it wasn't the only incident of molestation or rape in my life. And um, my self-value declined. I kind of have this, this um, I had this idea in my head that, um, number one, I was responsible for it somehow. That, you know, I, I think that's fairly common in um, victims of sexual impropriety. And, um, and I, it taught me not to stand up against any further abuse, right? So I, it was just kind of a normal thing for me, you know? You take from me, that's okay. You know, that's my role. And um, to some degree, it even, that relationship even kind of um, paralleled my relationship with God, right? So that's what part of what um, Isabel was talking about, where, um, it took me a long time to really think that, that God truly wanted the best for me. That was a strange concept to me because of some of the things that had happened. Um, this year, you know, there's been a lot of stuff in the news, and of course I won't get into outside issues, but um, I would say that I, I, I have certainly um, felt a lot more about some things that have happened. Um, than I have in a lot of other years. So that's kind of a wound that's been reopened in me. And, um, and I'm working on that, you know? And I'm, it's, it's, it's going, I know God's gonna heal that in me and, and help me to, you know, a part of me healing is saying that in front of you guys. I don't, you know, there might be somebody that gets helped from this tonight. And um, that's the only reason why, um, why I can find the courage to share that. Um, so what I also know about my grandfather in particular is um, that there was a miracle that happened with that. Um, and the miracle was in steps eight and nine when I, when I was working through those, um, I was able to see my grandfather um, as he was as a little boy and partly due to some stories from my aunt and partly due to stories that he retold over and over again. Um, when I was a little girl, he was quite the talker. Um, I married a talker, so maybe that's where I got that from. But he, huh, just, it just occurred to me today. Um, but he would tell these stories a lot about his childhood and what happened and, you know, stuff that, you know, kids today wouldn't know anything about, like, you know, working your way through college, picking cotton right, um, and stories like that. But one story that he really told over and over again was, um, was the story of his mother's death. And um, he, he, they lived in Oklahoma, and he, um, there was a tornado, and she died in the tornado. It was this horrible, tragic death. And in those days, I guess, the kids didn't stay with 
their dad. I guess it was a common thing. They were kind of farmed out to other relatives. And so he and his brother went to go live with some random relative somewhere. And maybe a year or two later, when his dad was remarried, they came back and lived with his dad and his stepmom. And his stepmom did not like him. And um, she had another child from a previous marriage. She was a, a widow. And um, his, his telling, at least of the story, is that he was treated very badly by her. And, um, and he never kind of got over that. Um, certainly didn't get over um, his mother's death to, you know, in a healthy way either. And I, the thing that made me, in, as I was working through my step eight and nine and working through um, my resentments toward him and then um, some uh, character defects that I had as a result of those um, was that I could only, I mean, I could only imagine how our whole family would be different if that one tornado hadn't happened, you know? I wonder um, how many lives could have been affected in a positive way because of that. Not, you know, again, I don't know what my, my grandfather did to anyone else, but, um, you know, I know that, um, that, that we don't come out um, into the world and inflict our harm because we've never been harmed before. And so um, through working through that and realizing that at least that was a huge nugget of pain in his childhood, um, it really helped me to have true forgiveness. And I could just see him as that little boy that just, you know, had his mom taken away. And um, and what unfortunately happened with all of that was that, you know, then he hurt people. Um, so uh, so I, I think that was a great miracle for me in my program, one of the biggest, the highlights. Um, but anyway, um, I became a teenager. And um, of course, my mom, I told, I already said my mom um, married an alcoholic. And, and um, you know, I just, I, as any other teen, I just wanted to be kind of normal. And um, I didn't want to be like um, looked down upon. And I wanted to have friends, and I wanted to have, you know, free, you know, um, good times. And um, but that's not what happened. Um, so I, um, I do remember, you know, mine was the kind of household where, um, you know, my stepdad would pick us, pick me and a friend up from the football game, and um, there would be like 20 beer cans in the back of the car, in the back seat, like empty. And, um, and I remember, um, you know, having to be embarrassed about that. And we actually had these barrels in front of our mobile home that, um, that were full of empty beer cans. And he would, um, like, make money on that because there were so many. And um, um, he worked um, seasonal business. So um, in the winter, we had, we, because he worked in air conditioning, in the winter, we had um, no money. It was, I mean, Christmas was a, really, was a really dire time for us. And, you know, sometimes we didn't have money for things like gas or a lot of food or Christmas trees. And, um, you know, it's funny how I think about the repercussions of just even that. Um, I'm a Christmas freak. I, <laughs> those of you who've been to my house know that. Um, I really like Christmas. The lights, the tree, everything has to be perfect. And I definitely know that that's, you know, I can kind of go back and go, okay, that little neuroses, that came from there, um, not having, right? Um, but anyway, that's, that's, my, um, that's kind of where I was in my teenage years. Um, and, um, and, and so, you know, as all, a lot of teenagers do, we start having, you know, relationships. And I met my first him. <laughs> I mean, he was so fine. He was just, <laughs> I just couldn't even stand it. Um, but uh, he, uh, he happened to be a drug dealer. He was the high school connect. And, uh, but he was really, I mean, uh, you know, I ha he was cute. He, um, he was French Canadian, but he was native. And somehow, I don't know, was in San Antonio. I don't know how his parents got him there. But anyway, he had really interesting features. Um, and so I had um, started planning for our life. 
together. And um, so here's where I really pinpoint where my Al-Anonism started showing up, okay? Um, uh, I knew he was going to be useless, poor thing. And um, I developed a plan in my head where, you know, I was going to make the money, I was going to be responsible, take care of the kids, cook all the food, you know, and as long as he just was there, that would be good enough for me. Um, and, and, and I have always kind of had that fantasy world going on, and that's um, something that I'm actually dealing with a lot right now. Um, so Al-Anon, um, in my type of Al-Anon program, um, there's always something to work on, and that's really um, has been forefront in my program um, in the last few months. Um, but when I was a little kid, I was an only child, and so it was really easy for me to spend a lot of time in my imagination. And um, I liked that show, Bewitched. Anyone who grew up in that time frame knows it. Younger than the young people in here, that was a show about a witch. <laughs> and um, and so she would touch her nose, the little girl, well, the older one could do it somehow magically, and I could never make my nose do that, um, but you, the little girl would t twinkle her nose like this, and then poof, stuff would happen, and I would imagine that I was her, and that I could just poof stuff to happen, um, and, and so all of my life, I just felt like if I just tried hard enough, and if I just could figure out how to magically do that, then I could produce the life that I wanted. I never wanted to rely on God or an, another person, um, and that was deep-seated, right? My parents never were there for me, so therefore I had to do it. And, um, and there's just nothing, you know, you guys are just the audience in my big play. Um, so um, that relationship with Charles the drug dealer um, ended not when he cheated on me, not when he yelled at me, not when he slapped me, but when he insulted a friend of mine. And then I was like, okay, forget it. <laughs> um, so you can do anything you want to me, but you can't do that to anyone else. Um, but anyway, I, um, I found another, as we do, and um, and that was my, I mean, there were a few, but anyway, let's get to the next good one. Um, I, met my, <laughs> I met my first husband in high school. Um, I don't think we were really high school sweethearts necessarily because it was right at the end of high school. Um, but we, um, we pretty much from the get-go were super serious. And, um, and, and you know, we partied. That, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what anyone else's experience was in 1989, but a lot of people partied. <laughs> I mean, high school kids, like, it was somebody's house or another, another, another. I mean, I don't know if they do that anymore, but we did. <laughs> and we lived kind of near the country, and so we could always go to someone's ranch or deer lease or, you know, burn something down or <laughs> something. Um, so... Um, so I, um, I met my husband, and, and he, he, did, he was, you know, he drank and did drugs. I mean, you know, common story. And, um, and so did I, really. I mean, I, was a, I um, drank some and got drunk in high school. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I was, you know, super innocent. Um, and, um, but when we decided to get married, and this was when I was 18, um, and I think I decided to get married. But anyway, there's some debate in that. Um, I t also told him, I was like, okay, this is done. We're not doing pot anymore. I didn't really like pot. It always made me super, super paranoid. Um, I was like, we're done with that. We can drink, but we have to drink mod moderately. No more getting trashed. We have to be responsible and pay bills and, and do all of this stuff. Um, and Oh, and go to church. That was the other thing. At 18, I had decided that we were going to start going to church. Um, so because his family was really religious, and I'd say I probably fell in love with his family just as much as I fell in love with, with him. His family from the outside, it was scary. Okay, they, and some of them are here today, so I'm not going to look at them. Um, <laughs> they, from the outside, looked so good. I mean, real good. His um, dad was an officer in the military. His mom worked. I mean, it was like almost like be Leave It to Beaver. 
and um, they went to church all the time, every time the church doors were open, and, um, you know, had four kids and family, and they did stuff, you know, together. Um, anyway, it didn't actually end up being as perfect as it looked, but that's somebody else's story. Um, so I, I really wanted to go and do the church thing, so we did that. Um, I joined the religion, okay, but I never had any real um, giving my will and my life or your will or your life over to the care of God. I never did any of that, but I did all the religion, the, ce- the ceremony and the showing up. I did all of that. Um, but I did try for years and years to take his will and his life away from him. And um, he was pretty rebellious about that, though. He didn't really let me as much as I wanted him to. But we ended up moving to Germany. Um, we were from San Antonio, so if you don't have an education in San Antonio, um, you work for SeaWorld or you go in the military. Those are the two choices. And, or USAA, I guess, some, sometimes. But anyway, we went to the military. He went into the military. I had no job. I, we were in Germany. I had no job. I had um, no friends, no life. I was bored. So what did I decide to do? Get pregnant. All right. Um, that was also an interesting conversation. So many of our conversations, I think, with my husband um, were, hey, I have this great idea. Let's have a baby. And he was like, no. OK, great, we're going to have a baby. I mean, it really literally went like that. And so we had a baby. He was totally against it. And, um, and, and he continued his drinking career despite my um, advice not to. And um, he became, um, I, don't, I definitely don't think I would have called him an alcoholic at that time, though I think he was. Um, he was kind of the peeing in the closet type, you know, couldn't figure out where the bathroom was. Um, and, um, and I hated that, well, because I had to clean it up. Well, I chose to clean it up, first of all. And, um, and he would spend a lot of nights out with the boys. Um, if you really want to incubate alcoholism, go to and, and, and be around um, army barracks. That's a really good place to do that. Everybody drinks. Um, and, and he certainly did. And I was stuck at home with the baby, which then I began to be resentful about, though it was all my idea to do that. Um, so I would do some crazy things. Um, I would, um, uh, one night he decided to go out and I decided against that. And then he decided to go out and I decided against that and took his keys from with the car from the car and um, so he decided to ride his bicycle and it was probably I don't I mean it was late enough so that the baby was already in bed so I scooped up the baby got the baby put the baby in the um, car at midnight or whatever time it was and it was in the winter in Germany and I rolled down the window of the car and drove yelling at him the entire way to the bar while he was riding his bike to the bar. And, um, and those things I did um, on a fairly regular basis. Um, and I was sober. So that's the thing about the family disease of alcoholism is that the substance that's mind-altering, because I was not in my right mind, is usually another person for me. Um, so life went on. I had a accidentally had a second kid. Um, my husband and I had, I mean, it was amazing how easily we could have children. I used to joke that um, I just, my second kid was I just had a, took a bath in the same water he did. I mean, it was really easy to have babies. Um, but I, st- I started to realize that I was kind of getting in over my head and that this thing called life wasn't so easy. Um, I couldn't just create my reality. Um, and we had the usual byproducts of alcoholism. Um, I neglected my children. Um, he committed adultery, and I um, became resentful about that. Um, we separated. Uh, there was violence. Um, there were a lot of secrets. There was a lot of things that I didn't want to tell anybody. Um, 
and um, and and that went on. We came home. We you know ran around our family again, and um, at that point, um, that would probably be the first time I started hearing about recovery. Um, the day my daughter was born, the actual day, my father-in-law, who had also been in Germany on his own, um, at a, um, in a military um, assignment. Um, hit his bottom, he was an alcoholic. It started, um, it started my membership in a family. And I now know, from that five years, I knew what that felt like, definitely knew what that felt like. And it had never felt like that before. Um, the group that I was in back then um, in San Antonio, um, we did stuff together. We ate together. We retreated together. Um, strangers would go to people's funerals. You know, they would show up. Um, I think every Saturday somebody moved, and we moved them. You know, I mean, we did it all together, and that was precious. Those are precious memories to me. Um, but I moved to Houston in search of bettering my career, and um, and you know. Um, I had gotten rid of my husband, or he got rid of me, depending on who you ask. Um, and uh, anyway, I left, I left San Antonio, and I came to Houston. And, um, and you know, I just started to find excuses not to go to meetings. Um, Y'all did it different here. It was not the same. I didn't like it. Not the same. Um, couldn't find a group that was accepting of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> Um, in my group, we had childcare. I still had two kids. No groups had childcare. Um, and I looked at all the differences and just decided, you know, I don't really think I need this anymore. Um, but I'll be damned if my isms just didn't come back. And um, ambition became my new drug. So I didn't need boys anymore um, or men at that time. Um, and I could just rely on myself. And you know what the one thing that's never let me down? Work. It's never let me down to this day. You work hard, you get somewhere. And um, so I put all of my effort and interest into that. And a lot of times, even that was to the detriment of my kids. Um, I, I know I can admit that now. I have made amends for that now, that I put my kids in harm's way because of my career. Um, and that part was um, my selfishness as well. I had a brief foray back into Al-Anon in which um, the miracle was that I came back to, I came here. I came to Bay Area Club. Um, I wasn't here long, maybe a couple years. Um, Nancy was around. Um, Isabella, she said, was around. Um, they went to my wedding, so that's a nice tender memory. Um, but I decided that church, again, was going to be my answer, and so I went evangelical, you know, because um, that was going to be the way it was going to work. And um, then I started to have problems with my children. So, you know, um, growing up in an alcoholic home is growing up in an alcoholic home, and despite my wanting to will it differently, um, my children have suffered the effects of alcoholism. You know, both my disease and my husband's and a lot of other relatives um, have been involved. And, um, you know, my, my, I tried to, f we formed a step family. My husband and I got married um, 13 years ago now. And um, we formed a step family. And I, um, there's this uh, author who calls it like turning on the blender. You know, everybody gets chopped up in that. Um, you just throw it all in and see what happens. And that didn't really work too well. Um, we've, we're a lot better now. Um, and so I'm going to talk a, uh, a little bit about my current um, time in Al-Anon. Um, and hopefully I'll have some time left over. But um, So my daughter, Amberly, um, she started drinking um, in her teens and went pretty heavy. And... Um, uh, she probably drank for three years before it occurred to me that I had a that I needed to do something different, um, and 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 that's just an amazing thing. So so the 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 denial that that 
the family disease of alcoholism, I think, is 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 nothing to be um, you know laughed at. It's it's strong. So I had been in Al-Anon five years, then another couple of years, and it took me three years of my daughter drinking to excess to think, huh? I even used I tried to make her go to an AA meeting. Didn't even occur to me to go to an Al-Anon meeting. Didn't occur to me. Um, but anyway, then she got, um, so I had to kick her out of the house. And that was, prob- that, that was probably one of the hardest things I had done up until that time. It was really, really hard. It was really hard. Um, this is my little girl, you know. She's, I mean, she's little. She's, I, I, I mean, it was my job to protect her. And I was putting her out into a world that I knew would chew her up and spit her out. Um, but I had to do it. I had to do it because um, because she, the 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 uh, it was either that or I die. I can tell you that much because I just couldn't stand it anymore. Um, so she ended up moving out. She moved into some guy's house. And I remember walking into the house, and they had a um, like a dispenser for alcohol that I had never seen before. So you turn, like, I don't know, you turn the bottle upside down, and I don't know, it somehow comes out like that's the house she lived in. And um, anyway, she ended up getting put in jail, um, and she calls me, and she says, you know, I want you to come bail me out. And I was like, I got her. Fine. You want to go? You want me to bail you out? You're going to treatment today. So I was thrilled at that proposition. Um, so she ended up going to treatment in Kerrville. Um, and um, I was so mad. I was the angriest person that my life had ended up like this. I thought that I could do something to fix it. And, and this was, had to be the answer, right? It has to be the answer. And um, so anyway, she was in there. She got kicked out of one and moved to another. And then um, anyway, it ended up being Christmas. This was Christmas of 2011. And we went as a family to go visit her. And I was the looniest person you could have ever imagined that day. I remember um, yelling at a boy in the treatment center some poor kid who didn't know who he's, I don't know, poor thing, I hope. If I ever, I mean, I'm sorry, wherever you are out there, I apologize for calling you an SOB and telling you to stay away from my daughter. Um, But I was at my lowest, lowest point that day because um, I was just so mad that we were here. This was our Christmas, right? December 25th. Um, But what happened that day was that um, they required us to go to an Al-Anon meeting. I don't know if you all have been had that experience, right? Your kids in treatment or your others in treatment, and you have to go to an Al-Anon meeting or you can't see them. So on December 25th, some old lady showed up and shared an Al-Anon meeting and gave her story. And for that, I am eternally grateful. I just, I mean, I'm amazed that she gave up her time like that to come and speak to a bunch of crazy family members, right? (laughs) The ones who are just getting to the family program, they're the craziest, okay? Um, And so she told her story, and and so I was like, oh, maybe I should start going to Al-Anon. Like, maybe that will help my daughter, right? That's where I was. Um, And so I came back, um, you know, I was still in Houston, came back here, um, and found all of you guys again, um, and 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 like uh, like Isabel shared, um, I, I started looking for a sponsor, and I I was drawn to Isabel. I've drawn to her for a long time, and um, but we had nothing in common. Like you know, we didn't have the same background. She doesn't have kids, biological kids. I'm dealing with my kids. Like that does not make sense. Um, but eventually, six months later, I asked her to be my sponsor, and we started working the steps together. Um, and, and when I started those steps, it was totally different than any of the other times that I had done the steps. 
Um, in the big book, it says, we in turn sought the same escape with all the desperation of drowning men. I was drowning. I mean, I tried it so many different ways. You know, I tried church. I tried money. I tried self-will. I tried anger. I tried punishment. I tried arguing. I tried begging. I tried crying. Um, there's millions of things that I've left out. I tried everything. And I kept coming back to step one. That's where I was. Um, my daughter did not achieve sobriety in that treatment center. And I went on a roller coaster of relapse and sobriety with her. I chose, I bought my ticket, I got on the crazy train. Um, she went to seven treatment centers, seven treatment programs. And when every time she relapsed, I developed obsession and craving. So my craving was to contact her, to find her, to talk to her, to reason with her. And, um, and I experienced fear and worry and anguish. And, um, and my son was having trouble too. And, um, but I didn't, um, she was so much in the forefront, I couldn't even see him. I couldn't see that he was having any trouble at all. Um, so I continued through the steps. Um, step one to me, the most important word is unmanageable. Um, uh, because, and I say that because if that word has not would not be there, I would not be here. Because I don't know that I could have convinced myself that I was powerless, but I knew my life was unmanageable. That's a fact. So I was like, okay, here I am. I'll come. Um, in step two, I learned what my old God was and what my new God is. And my old God was good. I never thought God was mean. I just thought for whatever reason, Lisa doesn't get anything, but everybody else does, right? And hey, no hard feelings, but you just, I'm not gonna give you the best. My new God I know now wants the best for me all the time. And he wants to be so close to me. And if I just crack the door, the sunlight comes in. Um, in step three, um, I had to really turn over everyone else's will, um, and I had to give up the job of being their God, and that's a process. goes on till today. I still do it. Um, I have to say the step three prayer every day, um, and I notice when I don't, when I skip, I notice that I am not able to be of service um, and somewhere in there, um, I learned that my family members had brains. Um, there's, I don't know where we get this from, but there's the Bob has a brain. Yeah, okay, so I don't know who said it, but somewhere early on in my recovery, there was some lady that said something about, I guess her husband maybe, and his name was Bob, and she discovered that he had a brain when he did something on his own. I have had that experience over and over again. It's easy for me to practice now. So in Al-Anon, I have found that the first time doing something is so hard. And then if I just practice it over and over and over again, it becomes easier and easier. I do distinctly remember the first time that, I, that Amberly was allowed to make a decision. And now I have been able to allow her to have a break to make her decisions on over and over again. Um, step four and five allowed me to let people in. Um, I would not be able to share anything that I've shared with you all today if I had not done step four and particularly step five. Um, it is hard, hard for me to share my things that I used to be so ashamed of. It's very hard. Um, in step six, it says in the AA 12 and 12 that it separates the men from the boys. And um, I think the first couple times I did the steps, I just thought of that as like a whew, it's kind of the break step. You know, you don't have to do anything. There's no writing. There's, it's the hardest step for me. You know, um, and 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 really, um, in the big book, it says um, that I accept that I did not know what was best for me, and if I 
did not know what was best for me. I don't know what's best for you either. And it's, it's getting that process in step six gets me to the humility in step seven. And I can't go from step five to step seven without that. Um, in step eight and nine, um, so my sponsor, I don't know if she, you know, I'm gonna, we're going to have to all get together, all her sponsees, and share notes, um, which we haven't done. <laughs> but for me, she was such a big fan of living amends. I would go like, okay, Amberly, what am I going to say? Sorry, let's let's work through Amberly. I know I've done this. I neglected her. I, you know, was mad. I did the crazy thing that day on Christmas in her, you know, treatment center. And then the amends was to give her the dignity to live her life. That amends never ends. <laughs> I'm doing it today. It's still just as hard. Yeah, it's hard. Okay. Um, and my mom, um, my mom, uh, yeah, she's a, she's a trip. Um, so uh, I could speak like an entire hour on my mom, but our um, relationship is such that um, she's super superficial. Um, she'll talk about three subjects, her cats, the garden, or one ailment or another of my stepfather. Okay, those are the three. You can't talk about anything else. And... Um, <laughs> And so my amends to my mom, which um, is kind of amazing, um, is that my sponsor told me that I needed to throw away my relationship with my mom. And I was like, what are you talking about? Again, another dumb idea. Um, I, don't, I didn't understand it at first when she said that. I just kind of nodded and was like pretending that I was tracking with her and knew what the heck she was talking about. I had no idea what that meant. And it was interesting because over time I figured it out um, it's the expectation of the idea of the relationship that we really never had. The new relationship is what we actually always had. You know, where I accept her where she is. Even if it's not the mommy that I ever wanted. And that, she doesn't know it has been a huge gift to her for me. And I can love her now. And she gave me a gift where just once she actually opened up about something and she told me some feelings that she had had, some really devastating feelings she had when her sister was born, like she wished she was dead and she now feels that all the problems that her sister have had were because of her, because of that feeling. And I got to share that, gosh, mom, that's not your fault. That's so normal to think of that, that you know, when you have an, a younger sibling. Um, but just the once. <laughs> that was several years ago. I was like, all right, we're heading somewhere. And that never happened again. <laughs> Um, so steps 10 and 11 have been really recent stories for me. Um, I guess we read them, but I didn't really work them um, as much. Um, you know, in the several years ago, um, the last time I did a full work through on the steps, um, step 10 is just this year, guys. It's, you know, seven years, and I'm doing step 10. And I figured out a way that works for me. I do it every day now. Um, I have a little book. I write it two sentences on like kind of my highs and my lows. I don't really, I call it an inventory, but I don't know, you know, I mean, it's not like I'm pointing out character defects. I just kind of point out where I was high and where I was low. And so that's a little gentler to me, right? Um, that's another thing that my sponsor taught me was that I can be gentle on myself, right? I can, I don't have to always be so hard on myself, you know? I don't have to get the A+. Plus. Um, Step 11, um, many of y'all have already heard this, so I'm not going to say it. I'll say it. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so my mother-in-law is kind of what I would consider a black belt meditator. She's awesome. And she does all this other stuff um, with regard to meditation. And so I always felt like, well, pff, I don't like it. I'm not going to do it. Meditation's kind of not for me. 
Um, I would be the meditate. I would say, okay, I'm gonna meditate, and I'd be going through my grocery list or the things I had to do that day. And then I would just get totally off track and and wouldn't do it. Um, and um, Don um, uh, told this um, share one time um, a couple of years ago where um, he said, well, I always wanted to be an NFL player. Okay, so I love sports. I was totally involved, but just didn't have the ability um, to quite make it. Almost, right, Don? Oh, yeah. yeah, almost. Um, and so I, I do what I can now. You know, I watch the games. I, part- I know the stats. I participate in cheering on my team. Um, but God, that just wasn't God's will for me. And that gave me so much freedom. And so now I'm not a black belt meditator. I do a five-minute um, app meditation, and it's good. It's good enough, you know? It's good enough, and I've gotten so much out of it. Maybe someday it'll be different, but that's where I am today. Um, and then step 12, um, just to kind of close out. Um, so step 12, I have had a spiritual awakening. And the way I think about that, because I think um, I, um, I really, um, when I read through um, a lot of the literature, I noticed there was two separate words. There were spiritual experiences, and then one time there's a spiritual awakening mentioned. And so I have lots of spiritual experiences. I have them every day. Um, but I know when I work the steps, when I got down to step 12, I was awake. And that's where I want to be from now on. And as long as I keep doing the deal and coming to these meetings and participating in service, um, I will stay awake to my higher power. Um, so uh, I have two minutes on my clock, but only zero minutes on that one. So, um, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up by saying um, many things have happened um, in the last couple of years. Um, we've had tragedy. Um, I lost my stepson. Um, he died by suicide. And um, I'm grieving my son's loss, my, the, son of, the loss of my son. He is alive, but we are not... We are not in relationship. Okay, we have a financial connection, but not a a real relationship. And um, and I'm adjusting to my daughter being her own person, and that is a huge adjustment because my daughter, I just feel like she should be just like right here, like in my pocket, doing the things that I want her to do, and she's not doing them. And so. Um, it's like ripping skin, that feeling. And I'm, I'm adjusting to that, and my sponsor's helping me get through that right now. Um, but basically, you know, um, somewhere it says, in this world there may be troubles. And, and that will always be true. Like, Al-Anon does not buy you out of any, okay, Al-Anon does not buy me out of any of my future troubles. It does, however, give me a spiritual toolkit which, you know what, it works every time with every problem, no matter what. Um, Thank you for giving me this opportunity to be of service. Peace.